Welcome to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. You have questions? We know because you send them in. And today we're going to answer them. It's Ask the Guys on the Real Estate Guys radio program. Hi, this is Patrick from Paradigm Life. I've recently written an ebook called The Perpetual Wealth Strategy. The ebook discusses one of the best investments, real estate, combined with a financial vehicle used by the wealthy, many US presidents, famous actors, athletes, and even Houdini himself. You can download the ebook for free in the resources section on the Real Estate Guys Radio homepage. Don't wait, go download it now. Welcome to the Real Estate Guys. I'm your host, Robert Helms, with me, co-host financial strategist, Russell Gray. Hey, Robert. Today, we get to do one of our favorite things, and that is answer your questions. It's Ask the Guys. We do this every few weeks. In fact, I think it was just about a month ago we had to ask the guys, and there were so many questions, and they've stacked up even more. So here's how it works. You can go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click Ask the Guys and ask whatever you want. We go through those questions and weed them out to the ones we think will have the greatest broad appeal. So sometimes the question is so specific, it just probably won't serve a lot of people to answer. But we've got so many great, great questions. And uh, here's our only caveats. We do not give advice. We give ideas and information. We are not tax or legal professionals. So many of the things that we talk about are just ideas for you to then research with your appropriate professional. Other than that, it's all go. Yep. We're going to have a good time. Our first question comes from Chris in Grove City, Ohio. Another question from Grove City, Ohio. Wow. No, just kidding. I'm 29 years old. I have a wife and three young kiddos based out of Ohio, and I have roughly $40,000 in student loan debt. I'm incredibly eager to get involved in real estate investing because of the wealth and financial freedom that it provides. So I've heard. Uh, my wife is supportive of my interest, but is concerned about our current debt. My question is, do you recommend waiting until you're completely debt-free to begin investing? My goal is to buy my first property and use it as a rental and letting the tenant pay the mortgage while making a little extra as well. What are your thoughts? Do you think it's bad to begin investing while still in student loan debt? Well, Chris, great, great, great question. Our answer is very short and succinct. Uh, it's no problem. <laughs> yeah. Debt yeah. is uh, your friend in real estate. Some debt is bad debt, right? Credit card debt is bad debt. A high interest rate, hard money loans can be bad in certain situations. Good debt is debt that produces income and a debt that helps you control real estate where you have a tenant who who's paying the mortgage and a little bit more, like you've explained here, that's good debt. And so the fact that you have debt now, a student loan is what it is. It's not a great loan, but at the time it is a means to an end and, and it's great and it's there and it did the job and hopefully you're using that great education and clearly you are. So do you wait until every loan is paid? Absolutely not. No, I, I think here's the deal, right? So this is linear thinking. This is, okay, I've got to do this before I can do that. So I've been reading this book called Bold. By Peter Diamandis and Stephen Kotler. Yeah, How to Go Big, Make Bank, and Better the World. And in it, they talk about Richard Branson. And here's Richard Branson, of course, is open Virgin Atlantic, Virgin, you know, just the whole thing. Now he's building spaceships or whatever he's doing. And one of the concepts is he advances a lot of things concurrently. And you hear the talk about, oh, focus, focus, focus. And so I'm going to say, look, in football, you can win with four or five different systems. In this case, we're talking about linear thinking. Okay, before I can save up money to make a down payment, I need to eliminate all my debt. 
Well, if you invest properly, you can probably make that $40,000 debt go away pretty quick if you catch the right market wave. Now, we can't guarantee you're going to buy a property that's going to go up in value, but credit right now is extremely inexpensive. And the idea of going into good debt is the idea of creating positive spreads, right? So if I can borrow money, say, for example, at 4%, and I can go buy a property that will cash flow at 8%, then I've created a 4% positive spread on that borrowed money money plus I'm picking up the amortization which is the pay down on the debt plus I'm picking up the depreciation tax credit which means I'm not paying any tax on the positive income plus I am buying myself control of an asset which will respond favorably to the continued devaluation of the dollar now right now the dollar has been temporarily strong but whether the dollar is strong or the economy is strong and there's inflation or whether the economy is weak, you see that a lot of money gets printed to prop up the economy. At the end of the day, real estate tends to respond well whether there's inflation or even if there's deflation. Even the people, myself included, who got into trouble in 2008 got in trouble because they created negative spreads. They borrowed at a higher rate than they were earning and they weren't able to liquidate the property because they were upside down. You don't have to worry about a property going upside down in real estate because it there's no margin call. So if it's upside down, as long as it's positive cash flowing, I can control the property till the economy recovers. And by upside down, we mean that you owe more against a property than it's worth, which is a temporary situation. And again, if it's cash flowing, it doesn't matter. Right. So the key is, is if it's cash flowing, I can control the property until the natural cycles restore the value of the property. And if I'm buying it for the long haul and the production of income, I really don't care. If you buy a house to live in and you can make the payment, whether the value of the property goes up or down, it maybe bothers you, you know, when you sit around counting up what you're worth, but ultimately you're still living in the house. You're still enjoying the house. It doesn't really matter to you. In any market, that house is ultimately going to get paid for by the tenant. And then you're going to end up with a property that's owned free and clear, paid for by somebody else. The sooner you get that process going, the better off you're going to be. We're all about getting into more debt and not less. And that's a mindset. Now, here's the reality, Chris. You mentioned that your wife's concerned about it. So what matters a lot more than what Russ and I think about it yeah, that's right. is what your wife thinks about it. So you need to get comfortable and talk with her about what we just said, which is if I'm borrowing money that helps create more cash flow and net worth, that's a good thing. If I'm just going into debt to buy a big screen TV and a nicer car, that's a bad thing. So let's, let's go actionable right now, Chris, because I think this is important. Probably the best investment you could make right now is to maybe get your wife a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, maybe play cash flow, maybe do a book study together, maybe attend a seminar together and begin to study investing together. So she is understanding what you're understanding and you guys come to whatever investment conclusions you do together with the same level of understanding. That's the safest way to do it. So she's comfortable and that you guys are both moving forward together as a team. And with three small kids, we understand that might be a challenge, but I uh, got a great word for you babysitter. All right. So uh, good question. Here's the next one. It's from, it's from Ryan in Brandon, Manitoba, Canada. Hey guys, great show. My investing partner and I have been loyal listeners for about a year now. We hope to attend a seminar someday to experience all the great stuff you mentioned, but most of all, to drink a few beers with you too. Hey, I, I like, like this guy already. already yeah. uh, we bought our first single family home in 2013, a severely undervalued property that we extensively rehabbed and forced a ton of equity into it. Good job. It's been generating good cash flow from the day we rented it out. We have since added another single-family home and are pending on a third as we speak. Yesterday, our tenants from the first home surprisingly mentioned that they'd like to purchase the home from us. 
We have 15 months remaining on our closed term, and then we have nine months remaining on their lease. So I'm assuming by closed term, he's talking about the financing. There's, there's a minimum of 15 months that they have to keep uh, the financing in place. They have nine months remaining on their lease. When do we decide to make a play on this? We possibly have the option to port our existing mortgage to a new property. However, that would mean forcing us into a new property search now. We want to avoid payout penalties, but we don't want the tenants to discover another suitable home. In the meantime, what do you advise? All right, well, that's a great question, a great situation. The first thing I'll say, and then I know Russ has some thoughts on it, is this. Just because you have a buyer doesn't mean it's time to sell. In the world of real estate, there are times when we have assets that we want to sell and there's times that we want to buy and sometimes something happens like a tenant calls up and says, hey, I'd like to buy the house. Always worth considering because the tenant has maybe been a good tenant for you and because, hey, it's a bird in the hand and you might not have to pay a full real estate commission. That's the, not a high reason on the list, but it's at least something to consider in, in the real world. So just because you have a buyer, though, you need to get back to why you bought the property. You say it's performing well. Does it fit your personal investment philosophy as a partner? Does it make sense for both of you? And if your decision is, hey, it might be worth selling this property and getting into something else, now pursue it with the tenant. But just because the tenant says, hey, I want to buy, don't feel the scarcity of, oh, we might lose a good tenant. There's lots of good tenants. Well, I, I'm telling you, there's a couple things here. I mean, Robert, you touched on it, um, and I'm going to go back to something I learned from you, which is concept of zero-sum thinking. Right out of the gate, you have to ask yourself, this property's in my portfolio. If I didn't already own it, would I want to buy it? Would I want to own it? In other words, does it still have good upside? Is it still uh, in good condition? Is the neighborhood still going in the right direction? Is it something that you would like to own today? And then it's always compared to what? What else might you do? And again, I don't understand uh, completely the way Canadian financing and all that works. It may be a way to free equity. If you have to sell a property in order to move equity to a better market or a better property, then maybe selling is the right answer. If you have the ability to use a refinance to do that and pull some equity out and keep a property that you would like to keep because you still think it has some life left in it in terms of its financial performance and what's going on in the market, then that would be another way to do it. I think one thing is is if you're in a situation where you are afraid of losing a tenant, you may be in a marketplace where there aren't enough tenants there, and you, if you have the ability to get out of the property, I would do it. If you have no fear of losing tenants because there's 18 applications waiting to take the property, then you know you have a maybe a different way to play it. So there's some factors to take into consideration, but it starts with if you didn't already own the property, would you want to buy it? What else might you do with the money if, in fact, you got it? And how secure do you feel that if you decided to say, no, you know what, I don't want to sell it right now, that another tenant would come in? And based on all that, I think you'll find your answer. No, another possibility is you can talk to a tenant right now to say, hey, guys, we have 15 months left on this loan. You have nine months left on your lease. Why don't we enter into agreement right now that 15 months from now, you guys will buy the property? In the meantime, we can have some option consideration, like a lease option. Again, check with some counsel uh, in your area. Area, but that might be a way to keep this good tenant in place. They want to buy the property. Maybe they could buy it right now, but if they can't or if you can't sell it right now, at least have that conversation. At the very least, you might get them to extend the nine months to the 15 so that it corresponds with the loan. Again, not knowing the rules there, but if you do have some equity in the property, maybe the best investment you could make is carrying back and letting the tenant actually pay you interest, right? I mean, you might say, hey, I can, I can leave my equity there. I end up being able to get a continued stream of income on it from people that I know. They're going to take good care of the property. 
Don't know what the rules are in your part of the world, but that might be something else to consider as well. It's Ask the Guys today. Your questions are answers. More when we come back. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Live nationwide, you're listening to the Real Estate Guys. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com. All aboard. Registration is now open for the Real Estate Guys 14th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. Imagine spending an entire week with like-minded investors, world-class educators, and real-world professionals. Returning this year are sales legend Tom Hopkins, international developer Beth Clifford, attorneys Mauricio Raul and Jeffrey Verdon, and the author of The Creature from Jekyll Island, G. Edward Griffin. New for this year, commercial mortgage broker and syndicator Michael Becker, personal development icon Kyle Wilson, and Ken McElroy's partner Ross McAllister. And joining us live and in person for his third Investor Summit, Robert Kiyosaki. It all begins February 26, 2016 in Miami, Florida. Visit realestateguysradio.com and click the tab that says Summit to learn more and reserve your spot. This transformational week is like no conference you've ever attended. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click Summit and make plans to spend a week with the Real Estate Guys and an all-star faculty on the 14th Annual Investor Summit at Sea. If you love real estate and have always wanted to own your own business, listen up. The Real Estate Guys and their panel of experts want to teach you how to go full-time fast in the real estate syndication business. These next few years may go down in history as one of the best times ever to acquire investment real estate. There are deals everywhere if you know where to look and how to assemble the resources. The Secrets of Successful Syndication Seminar will show you how to make big money doing big deals from a team of experts that have syndicated projects totaling more than $1 billion. Don't wait for someone to give you a raise or create a job for you. Attend the secrets of successful syndication and learn how to build a team, raise capital, find deals, and make full-time money in six months or less. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. All the big players use syndication as a way to diversify risk, optimize profits, and earn big money. You can too. Go to realestateguysradio.com and click on events. Hello, this is Robert Kiyosaki. I'm the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And if you're serious about learning how to invest in real estate, listen to the Real Estate Guys. They really know what they're talking about. Welcome back to the Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. It's Ask the Guys. One of our favorite shows is when you send in your questions and we get to answer them. If you've got a question for the Real Estate Guys, go to realestateguysradio.com and click on Ask the Guys. This one comes from Andrew in Elk Grove, California. He says, hey guys, what's the best way to transfer real estate from parents to children? Well, I love the brevity in that. What's the best way to transfer real estate from parents to children? This brings up a kind of a big topic. And, and again, the disclaimer is we're not attorneys. We're not going to give you the legal stuff, but we definitely have some ideas. <laughs> yeah. I mean, best is such a term, right? What is the best? Well, it really depends on unique circumstances. But Let's usually, talk about some of the ways. Yeah. I mean, well, usually, you know, what you're talking about is how do we avoid taxation? Sometimes it's how do we make sure that the children get a property and they can't sell it or squander the equity or the wealth. But the answer is always going to come through a consultation with an attorney, uh, probably an estate planning attorney. In general concepts, if you hold a property in an entity like a trust or a LLC, typically, these are entities that exist in perpetuity, meaning when you pass away, the entity doesn't. It continues. And if the children are already owners, depending on how you structure their ownership, they can have 
beneficial ownership of the property, but they don't necessarily have control of it. So you can maintain complete control through a trust. You can continue to maintain that control. Uh, the tax mitigation is probably the easiest thing to solve, and you can work with a combination of your estate planning attorney who will generally be knowledgeable in tax matters, but will not give you tax advice. And then you're going to work with your CPA who will be able to give you the tax advice. But I'm going to guess that there's going to be an entity involved, and then depending on how much control you want to have over the kids when they get the property or when they have control of the property, when or if they ever have the ability to sell the property, what happens to the income from the property, assuming it's an investment property. If it's a personal property like a residence, that's a different issue. So there's a lot of things uh, that go into answering the question, so it isn't really a best. It's mostly about you being very clear about what it is you want to accomplish in transferring the property to the children. And so if you get clear on what you want in terms of an outcome, the how will become the responsibility of your advisors. And how is the easy part? Knowing what you want to do, only you can answer that question. Another nuance, since you live in California, Proposition 13, not everyone who's not from California understands that, but that's going to impact the decision. A lot of times, people in very expensive houses uh, have figured out ways to transfer part of the exemptions. Are, are there some exemptions to be able to transfer to your direct relatives and avoid a step-up basis, additional change of property tax? The Proposition 13 was about the basis of tax. And in certain areas, uh, we have what we call ad valorem taxes and property taxes change based on the new price. In other places, it's not like that at all. The property tax that the buyer assumes is the same that the seller paid, and it gets increased only when the area increases. So you want to understand that part of it, and you're probably very aware of that living in Elk Grove. But uh, it, it does begin with the end in mind. What are you trying to accomplish to get the – there's ways you can gift property over time. There's rules that apply there. Some of this is estate planning. So it's a little question with with kind of a big answer. Yeah, well, I'm going to go back to a comment I made earlier, which is you don't want to be penny wise and pound foolish because a reassessment of a property – uh, from a property tax perspective, depending on how much is appreciated from the time you purchased it to the time you transfer it to your children, um, you're going to want to make sure that you don't end up with any type of a reassessment. And of course, it that can happen on a county by county basis. So you're going to want to make sure you do your homework there. So make sure you invest the time and money to get competent advice from estate planning and tax professionals. And again, I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier, be real clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish and then communicate that clearly to your advisors and they will give you the tactics on how to get it done. For some reason, we've got a lot of questions from California. Maybe it's because we broadcast there. Uh, this is from Lynn in Sacramento, California. She says, hey guys, with a history of foreclosures due to a well-documented real estate Ponzi scheme scam, I am finding it impossible to find investment funding. My credit score is good. I have cash reserves, a day job salary, and minimal debt to income. My husband and I have one duplex investment property now, which is owner financed. We want several more, yet only come up with FHA funding opportunities. Would appreciate any advice as to how we can propel ourselves as investors without having to wait seven years as we are now 62. All right, so foreclosure, she's referring to the fact that foreclosure generally stays on your credit rating for a long time. And uh, sometimes that can certainly inhibit you uh, from getting traditional financing, even though it may have been documented that you were in foreclosure because of this Ponzi scheme or whatever you're referring to. Uh, the lender says, well, that's interesting, but still the rules are the rules. So anytime you are credit challenged, 
changed, meaning you don't have a traditional way to get real estate credit. It means you have to get more creative. Yeah, I mean, that absolutely. So there's two, there's two things there. First of all, don't ever assume that you can't. So what you want to do is you want to make sure you were working with a competent loan broker, someone who specializes in credit challenged people and the types and of investors, properties. And investors, right? And, and investors. Typical home lender makes loans to people who live in houses. That's not who you want here. You want an investment property specialist. So, so that's number one. And understand that most of the money that's out there largely uh, has been government money. I know I was in the mortgage space when everything blew out and a lot of the alternative lenders, you know, the people that allowed stated income, no doc, what we call Alt-A paper, these were private lenders and they weren't having to conform to Fannie Freddie guidelines. And, you know, I taught GRI back, you know, California in the day and, you know, we had a whole section on government financing and I would ask the students in the classroom, how many of you have ever even seen or done or been involved in a government loan? And at the time, it was next to no one in the class, right? right? We were all doing non-government money. Today, that would be all the hands. Today, it would be all the hands. And so the world has changed. But the world is changing back because I'm still on a lot of those mailing lists. And so it's constantly changing. So be aware of that. The other thing is, in terms of being creative... Right now, there's a lot of money looking for a home. If you have a good credit score and you have a good source of documentable income and you have savings, seasoned money, good balance sheet, and the only thing you've got is this blemish that won't fit into the stupid little government boxes, there are community banks and private lenders that will ignore those little boxes and want to make an investment in you, but they're going to have to be willing to hear your story. So that's where you you have to just say, okay, I'm going to have this loan broker out here looking out for me, and if the government programs change or new conventional lending comes, great, but go with a community bank if you have any type of uh, business relationship with them where they know you and you can tell your story, and then start looking at people that are private lenders. There's a lot of people out there that do private money, and yeah, you got to pay a little bit more in interest, but compared to not getting the property, it's probably worth having. Even today, the interest rates are so low, even if you have to pay a point or two premium over the going rates, it's still dirt cheap, historically speaking. Well, here's a concept, too. We negotiate a property purchase once. We can negotiate the financing a ton. You're not stuck with the financing. You might be able to get into good properties today and use whatever bridge funding, private lending, hard money loan to get into the property. And then when you're able to refinance, not every lender will require the seven or 10 years for a foreclosure to drop off. It's quite possible. In today's underwriting, there are lenders who it has to be seasoned for two years. After two years, you're much less of a risk. So again, we're not in that business today. Day, but you can find a great lender who is and don't use the word impossible. That's terrible, terrible talk. I'm finding right. it impossible to, to get. It's never impossible. There is always a way. As a guy who has been credit challenged for many, many years for many, many reasons, I will tell you it never stops me. At a point in time, I was $100 million in debt on purpose. Those were all great loans. I was out acquiring real estate. I was going like crazy. Those of you that have watched our video or home study program know that that was one of my stated objectives was I want to be $100 billion in debt. And I got there, which is great. The problem is when you're $100 million in debt, it does not matter what your FICO score is. Good luck getting another loan, right? It takes a while to figure that out, but it's totally, totally doable. A lot of sources. Private money we've talked about. Owner carry. You're already in an owner carry deal. Owner carry deals can be great. You don't necessarily pay more. For the right seller, owner carry financing is exactly what they want. They don't want the cash. They want the payments. There's owner carry deals out there. And then finally, a great way to invest 
is not necessarily to own the entire property. You can get into a syndication. You can invest with other investors where you're not on the loan. It's not your credit in the deal. You're putting up cash and you're riding along somebody else's coattails. Well, that's my point. I mean, finding a credit partner, there are a lot of people out there who maybe don't have the down payment. Maybe they don't have all of the income and you know they've got to be documentable income and so you have to again you have to work like i have i'm working with a credit partner and part of that was helping them rehab their credit build their credit build up their cash build up their cash flow get involved with them and then begin to get to a situation where you can begin to go out and acquire properties with your partner so partnerships i think is robert's point i agree with it you can bring components of it you just have to sit down with somebody based on the type of the property and the type of the loans you're looking for get the full gamut of what your options are and then figure out what's missing and the basic premise is this we all aren't perfect we're all missing something that we need and so sometimes we can find a way to mitigate our own weaknesses and get a deal done anyway and when you get to a point where you aren't able to do a deal based on some glaring hole in whatever it is resource you need then that's where you go out and recruit somebody who has something that you do have in exchange for what they have and you do a deal together so that's our, why we're such big proponents of syndication why we teach syndication we just think it is the way to do business rather than sitting around waiting until you fix all your problems just keep moving with what you have and go get what you need my mentor Jim Rohn taught me never to say I can't afford it, but to ask myself, how can I afford it? There is an answer and you're searching. So that's great news. It's absolutely doable. I can't say I can't. It's impossible for me to say impossible. There I, you I go. can't do it. It's Ask the Guys. Your questions are answers. This one comes from Elton in Crossville, Tennessee. This may be our very first question from Crossville, Tennessee. Hey, guys, I've owned my home with 100% equity since 2009. I've been building my financial portfolio, credit profile, and real estate knowledge for a couple of years, and I feel like I'm on the cusp of action. All right. My question is, what's the best way to convert the equity in my home into cash to begin acquiring buy and hold rental properties? I've researched HELOCs and HELOans, and I'm a few points shy of their FICO minimum. Are there alternative sources of equity lending that could enable me to unlock some of the cash value of my home? Thanks for your time and keep up the great work. I'm a loyal podcast listener and I'm looking for a starting point to take effective action. Well, you do listen. There's our motto, education for effective action. Thank you, Elton. Well, I would say there's a couple things here, and it kind of dovetails into what we were just talking about to the uh, previous question, and that is you're working on your credit, and your credit's not quite there. Keep working on it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when you go to get a loan of any kind, and of course, that's what we're talking about. How do we free up the equity in property A so we can go acquire additional properties? And there's some strategies for doing that. But the first thing you have to do is be able to free it up. So, you know, maybe this is just my bias because I come out of that business, but I am a big proponent of having a mortgage professional on your team who is coaching you through getting ready to qualify for the ever-changing variety of loans that are available. So, you say, this is the kind of property I have. This is what I'm trying to accomplish. In this case, it sounds like it's a single family home. I'm trying to extract equity. That is becoming easier to do. It's not as easy as it was, but it is becoming easier to do. And so when you find out, okay, I need to work on my credit score. If you're within a few points, a few points is easy. A few points can fluctuate. I mean, it's just like a margin of error on a poll sometimes, you know. And so you can find people who are experts at credit repair. And you got to be careful because there's a lot of scams in that, you know. But there's there are people out there who can teach you some basic things where you can add some quick points to your credit score. And a lot of experienced mortgage brokers will have those people in their back pocket. And they can pull your credit profile 
file through a mortgage scoring engine, not like freecreditreport.com or whatever, but through a mortgage scoring engine and then begin to coach you on things you can specifically do. Beyond that, just once you get to the point where you can qualify for those types of loans and free up equity through conventional financing, which will always be the cheapest, you mentioned HELOC. Make sure you really understand because the biggest mistake you can do is borrow short and invest long. Don't ever do that because if your loan ends up with having the interest rate adjusted and the cash flow suddenly changes. If, or it gets called for whatever reason. Or it reason. gets called or has a balloon payment or whatever and then your new investment isn't liquid, you're in trouble. So I'm a big proponent. I don't mind borrowing long to lend short because that way you can capture uh, interest rate changes. You can get in and out of deals, but don't ever do it the other way around. And especially when it's your home. Sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get started. I'm a big proponent of that. But you want to make very, very, very conservative investments with money that you've pulled out of your primary residence. And then once you begin to build a base, you know, you can begin to move quicker and be a little bit more aggressive. But it's easy to get the bug. Seen it happen many times pull out a bunch of equity because it kind of feels like free equity. Hey, brought my home in 2009. Now I've got an extra $100,000, $200,000 and it feels like free play money, but it isn't because it could cost you your home. And the market giveth and, and the, the market, market taketh, taketh away. away. Absolutely. All right, good stuff. It's Ask the Guys today. Your questions, our answers. When we come back, we have a question for you for real estate trivia and there's a prize involved. You're tuned to the Real Estate Guys radio program. I'm your host, Robert Helms. Real estate investment advice right in your mailbox. Sign up for the free Real Estate Guys newsletter at realestateguysradio.com. Forbes rated Memphis the best cash flow market in the nation. And our good friend Terry Kerr at Mid-South Homebuyers has been the premier turnkey rental property provider in Memphis for over 13 years. With an A-plus rating for the Better Business Bureau, Terry has renovated over 750 houses. Real Estate Guys listeners have snapped up hundreds. Discover what these satisfied investors already know. Mid-South's properties are completely renovated with a one-year warranty and a lifelong rental guarantee. They're affordable, well-managed, and easy to own. Perfect for beginning investors and veterans alike. Get in on the action. Contact Terry and his team via email at midsouth at realestateguysradio.com. When the housing market crashed in 2008, San Antonio led the way in appreciation and cash flow. Would you like to have a strong, reliable investment that performs in both up and down markets? Cash flow is the key to successful investing and we have tons of positive cash flow properties for our ATW investors. Come see why the Milken Institute rated San Antonio the number one economy in the United States and why San Antonio is the only major city in the country to have a AAA bond rating. ATW Investments can teach you strategies for building strong, secure wealth with investments starting at $5,000. ATW's patented, proven, and powerful system will do all the hard work for you. ATW is where the perfect market meets the perfect strategy and produces the perfect results in your portfolio. To get started, go to the resource section of the Real Estate Guys website or email us at contact at atw-investments.com. Hi, this is Lawrence Yoon, Chief Economist with National Association of Realtors, and you are listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program, heard every weekend on this great radio station all the time at realestateguysradio.com and your favorite podcast outlets. We're a radio show and a podcast. Hey, we're both. Thanks for tuning in today. We are talking about the questions that you have and the answers we can make up on the spot. It's called Ask the Guys. If you have a question for The Real Estate Guys, go to our website at realestateguysradio.com. You'll see a little button that says, cleverly ask the guys 
That's where you get your questions to us. Before we get back to our great list of questions today, it's time to play Real Estate Trivia. That's your chance to answer a question we have that has something to do with real estate and is rather trivial. As soon as you hear the question and think you know the answer, send us your best guess via email to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. This week, the prize for having the correct answer is a great book by entrepreneurs Josh and Lisa Lannon called The Social Capitalist, How You Can Do Well While You Do Good. It's really good stuff. And uh, before we get to this week's question, last week on The Real Estate Guys, it was Thanksgiving. We talked about all the turkeys we were thankful for. We asked this, which country produces the most turkey? And the answer is the United States of America. Well, that would make sense. Yes, followed by France. France is number two in turkeydom. By the way, in the U.S., the state that produces the most turkey is the fine state of Minnesota. Minnesota. Here's our real estate trivia question for this week. In which city was the first parking meter installed in the U.S.? Which U.S. city first thought it would be a good idea to charge for parking? Where was the first parking meter installed? Here's a hint. Rural Alabama. It happened, no. (laughs) It happened in 1935. So if you know which city installed the first parking meter, well, want to take a guess, send that to us, uh, to trivia at realestateguysradio.com. Include your name and your physical mailing address so that if by some miracle you get the right answer, we'll send you a copy of Josh and Lisa Lannon's great book, The Social Capitalist. That's today's real estate trivia question. Ask the guys today, and we got great questions. This one comes from Ben in Roanoke, Virginia. He says, hey, guys, I have an economics question for you. It's my understanding that there is a trade balance between imports and exports between countries because of their currency. As you export goods, you import your currency, and as you import goods, you export your currency to pay for them. This causes a trade balance between imports and exports. But what if two competing markets have the same currency? Let's say two cities or states in America, or you could even say Panama that uses U.S. dollars or El Salvador, a place like that. Anyway, they both use the same U.S. dollars as a mode for transactions. So how can balance be achieved? Is this why you can see an increase in price between markets as population and jobs shift from city to city in America? I know you guys like economies that have a strategic advantage that is based on their geographic features that cannot be moved like resources and distribution features like a centralized location in the country or a port. But if these markets have had this strategic advantage, why are they booming now and not before? Thanks again and you guys rock. All right. Well, this is a great, great question for our financial strategist and analyst, yeah, an analyst I think, uh, Russell Gray. Well, yeah, so, so we're going to change the name of the tab on Ask the Guys to Stump the Guys. <laughs> it's gonna, now it's going to be Stump the Guys. <laughs> no, this is good because, right, we talk about trade balance between nations. What about states? Well, the reality is this. Big picture is this. Think about what the demand for real estate is in a large, large geography like the United States of America. Every single day, people are moving from market A to market B. Their jobs are shifting from market C to market D. Real estate is up in market F and it's down in market G and that's the way it works. There is assuming that there's a fixed number of people, which isn't true, that number is always changing, but there's demand to go one place or another place. And so people move their dollars along with them. If I want to go stay at a hotel in Manhattan, it costs me more than a comparable hotel in Little Rock, Arkansas because of of the demand and so dollars do get exported between markets and you can exploit those differences in real estate well the trade question is a different thing and of course we're real estate guys and not you know trade economists but 
trade is about trading. In other words, you send your goods and services from country A to country B, and they send their currency, the import-export. So it's a trade. It isn't just people doing business together, but in terms of the way, you know, exchanging one currency for another currency, you're exchanging goods and services. So if you can imagine in one country, you've got a warehouse full of product, and you ship that product to another country, and then the country ships you a bunch of currency. But you know what? That isn't true between two states. So there isn't a trade balance Correct. in two states with an economy. It might be between Panama and the U.S. I use that example because in Panama they use U.S. dollars, so it's not a trade of currencies, but there still might be a trade balance. It's not really a valid consideration. I think the bigger picture and what does make sense is where are those dollars going? What does that do to an economy? And so we look for markets where those dollars are flowing and they're flowing in terms of jobs, in terms of distribution. We want to see where we're likely to be in the front of a wave of that happening and continuing to happen because that will drive up things like rent and real estate prices and asset values. So we've talked about this in the past, but in short, there is three three different components of prices going up or down. There is supply and demand. And so when there's more supply than demand, you have prices going down. When you have more demand than there is supply, you have people bidding for the limited supply, prices go up. So that's appreciation and depreciation. Then you have money supply, and that is inflation or deflation. And you don't really have any control over that. Those are monetary policy things we have to pay attention to because they affect pricing. And then the third thing you have is leverage or deleverage, right? When there's lots of loans available, lots of money is coming into the present from the future as people are leveraging or borrowing or mortgaging, if you will, the future so they can afford to buy something now. And then the flip side of that is when credit tightens and people aren't able to do that, then that component of the upward pressure on pricing or the purchasing power begins to go away. So those are the three different things. And when you're talking about why markets don't get a competitive edge, this is a completely different discussion. And you know, there's a lot of different ways we can say it. Think about it like this. When everything is great, when everything is rosy, when everything you touch turns to gold, you become a little bit bold. You become a little bit more capital in your due diligence. You become a little bit more aggressive in your investing. When a market gets frothy, whether it's the stock market or the real estate market, people start to bid up beyond a reasonable level because they're confident that it was going to continue to grow and it's worth stretching a little bit and really pushing the envelope. I mean, you look at back in the dot-com thing, right? People would invest in companies that barely were profitable or in some cases weren't profitable at all. It used to be you couldn't even take a company public unless it had real profit. And then the dot-com thing, the whole new economy, it was like, oh, it doesn't matter because these are the wave of the future, blah, blah, blah. All right. And then it all blows up. Okay. When it all blows up, those steady eddy blue chip companies, those boring companies, it's called flight to quality. See, this is what happens. So you have a marketplace that has a competitive advantage in terms of its stability. It's got great infrastructure. It's got good resource-based or geographically linked jobs. It's got a great population. It's got great price point and value, and it makes total sense. But you know what? It's boring. I'm going to use Dallas, Texas as an example. Before the 2008 crash, Dallas, Texas was the most boring single-family residential market you could you could <laughs> invest. It was so boring. Robert, one time you did a, a, a 
deal and you listed all of the different marketplaces in terms of what were hot. And I remember we had this discussion. Ken McElroy was telling us about Dallas. We're like, Dallas? Dallas? Look at this list of appreciating markets. Well, number it's 50 the very 50 states, yeah. bottom of the list, right? Yep. This is why we spend so much time with Ken McElroy. So then everything blew up. And all of a sudden, those high-flying markets like Las Vegas, Nevada, and Fort Florida, Myers. and uh, Phoenix, and all these markets that had gone 20, 30, 40%, 50% up, all of a sudden, they were no longer the prettiest girl in the room. All the makeup had come off, right? All of a sudden, you could see that this was a complete fake deal. And then, you Fabrication. know, that loyal, faithful market. I saw this, I can't remember where I saw this cartoon, but this woman comes in and she takes her wig off and you, you don't see her, right? You see her walk in, she stands in front of the mirror and then see her hand putting the wig and then you see her hand putting the, you know, fake eyelashes. And then, and then they show at the very final pane, the mirror and it's, there's nothing there, right? There's just <laughs> nothing because she wasn't real. And so when all that glitter rubs off, then you find out what's real. And, you know, I've been married 37 years and I've learned that faithfulness, loyalty is desirable. Let's just call it that way, right? I mean, what I'm saying to you is that these markets were always good markets, but they were boring markets. And all of a sudden, boring became very attractive when the bottom fell out. We live in a post-2008 financial crisis environment and it changed people much the way the Great Depression changed an entire generation, right? There was a roaring 20s and everybody was speculating. Everybody's running around trying to get rich quick. The bottom fell out in the Great Depression. We had food lines. We didn't have all these government safety nets that kind of hide the fact that people are unemployed and starving, 100 million people on government assistance and all that. But what we have now is people are much more conservative. We don't have the millennials running in to grab a piece of the high-rising market. They have a very different attitude about life after watching their parents get crushed. So it's a long answer to a simple question, but the bottom line is, is when you go through a crisis, when you go through a major setback, you have a thing called flight to quality. And flight to quality is about fundamentals, not high flyers. And when the fundamentals are solid, those markets are attractive. They were always attractive, but they weren't the prettiest girl in the room. Today, they are because a lot of the glitz and glamour rubbed off of the high-flying markets. Our next question comes from Brian in Denver, Colorado. He says, hey guys, first let me thank you for an amazing show. I listen on my drive to and from work every day and I love the passion and depth of knowledge you have. We should get excited about what we do. That'd be great. I'm so excited. I can hardly contain myself. I'm a pretty small fish, but I'm very interested in the Belize market that you talk about. I used to live in Hawaii and now my sister is moving there. Property is quite expensive and I just can't justify it. I've also been thinking about holding assets outside of the U.S. My question is, what kind of money is needed to invest from afar in Belize? At what dollar amount could a small fish start thinking of swimming in the warmer waters. Thanks again for amazing show. Kind regards, Brian. All right, Brian. Well, that's a great question. You know, you're the right guy to answer it after yeah. a bazillion Belize field trips. Well, it's no secret that the real estate guys like Belize. We have a handful of markets that we are very up close and personal with, and this is one of them. But a great fundamental question is, okay, well, what, what does it take to invest there? Do I need millions of dollars to invest in Belize? So the short answer is there's a, a wide variety of property in the Belize market. And uh, realistically, you can buy a property starting at about $25,000 dollars U.S. 
Uh, the high end is over a million dollars. But I would say that the average investor who comes to Belize probably deploys somewhere between three and four hundred thousand dollars, higher than other markets. Now, keep in mind, we do the Real Estate Guys field trip to Belize every two or three months, and we've been doing that for seven and a half years. Nothing is sold on a Real Estate Guys field trip of any kind. Our field trips are 100% educational. So we take a look at the market. In fact, in Belize, the sub-market we look at is Amargus Key, this town of San Pedro, which is a small sub-market of the country of Belize. We talk about all of the country of Belize. We talk about the price points and what types of properties available and all that. It's a great trip, and you should definitely come on it. If I only had a small amount to invest, what would I invest in? Our real estate guys field trip because you'll see where the opportunity may, may be. Uh, but, but again, we're not about you investing in a property in Belize. We're about educating you where opportunity might be. But in reality, it's a great question. Before I get all hot and bothered about a market, what does it take to get into it? Right. One of the things we like about, say, a Memphis, Tennessee is it's a relatively low cost of entry compared to, say, San Francisco, California. So the range, I, I would say to get into a, a functioning rental property in Belize, you're probably at $150,000. So what is the twenty dollars or $25,000 buy you? That's more of a land bank situation. You could buy a lot in Belize that's strategically located in a place where, you know, it's in the path of progress, but it's not going to produce monthly income. For monthly income, probably you're looking at more like 150 up to $200,000. Well, and the other thing is to keep in mind, in a lot of these countries, the kind of financing that we've become accustomed to in, in America is not available. But that doesn't necessarily need to stop you. I'm going to jump out of Belize for a little bit because before we discovered Belize, I really became enamored of Mexico. And so there was an opportunity to get a property there and it was a half million dollar condo right on the beach. Beautiful, but I wasn't going to spend all my time there. And so, Robert, you helped us create a strategy where we got a group of nine investors together and we divided the property up into 10 pieces and one person who put the deal together took two pieces and the other per everybody else took one piece so we divided up all 10. Now they didn't actually divide the property into pieces. <laughs> the ownership. The ownership and the use. So in that case I was able to get into the deal for $50,000 and so that was a very small investment relatively speaking. I couldn't get a loan because loans weren't available but I got what I wanted. I've got a chance to move $50,000 offshore. I got a chance to put it in real property. I got a chance to have some personal use component which was enjoyable. Got a chance to make a little bit of income. It was nothing to write home about because we divvied up most of the use among the owners. But when it wasn't in use by the owners, it was rented out, you know, on a weekly basis and it brought in a decent amount of money. So there are ways to play in these resort markets for a small fish. Uh, you just have to be a little bit creative. And it's just, you, you don't necessarily approach foreign real estate uh, the way you would approach domestic real estate. And so I agree with your main point, Robert, which is before you look to make a twenty-five or a fifty or a hundred thousand dollar investment in anything, make a thousand dollar or two thousand dollar investment in getting educated and really understanding the nature of what you have an opportunity to invest in and what your choices are. Our next question is a quick one. This comes from Jim in Bend, Oregon. He says, Hey guys, will Ken McElroy be a speaker at the next syndication seminar in January? Yes. Yes. All right. Our next question. <laughs> uh, so yeah, coming up January 29th and 30th, Phoenix, Arizona, the secrets of successful syndication. It's one of our favorite events to do because of the cool, cool people that come. We meet listeners for the first time, for the second time, for the fourth time. A lot of folks come to this event more than once. And I'm very happy to say that Ken McElroy, uh, Rich Dad Advisor for Real Estate and amazing syndicator, will uh, be a faculty member at that event. Also, some new stuff we're going to cover at this uh, syndication event. So always a great event. You can find out the details at our website at realestateguysradio.com. 
Our next question comes from Cole in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. He says, hey guys, I wanted to quickly ask a question concerning financing. I'm 19 years old, a licensed real estate salesperson in my state, a National Guard service member, and a full-time postal service employee for the last 13 months. Slacker. I'm <laughs> unable to qualify for a loan as of now because of my lack of work history. My military service is over two years but does not count. What can I do now to keep the ball rolling and move closer to my goal of acquiring my first investment property? Would you recommend owner financing on a property? Any information is truly appreciated. Thanks again. I love your show. All right, so this is great. Awesome. First of all, 19 years old and looking at buying real estate. Awesome. Make it happen. The rule that he's talking about is typically a lender wants to see you in the same job or certainly in the same line of work for a couple of years before you're credit worthy. And you're right. Usually they don't count military service. The only possible exclusion to that would be a VA loan. And that's worth looking at if you're a, a military veteran. But you've got to get yourself in the position to be able to be financeable. I think it starts with this. Again, I talk a lot about my family and the things I go through with my kids. And when they first you know, get to adult age, the first thing we do is we trot them off to a mortgage professional and we sit them down and it's like, okay, what do we need to do to qualify under today's current programs? And let's look at your credit and let's see what you've done so far. Yeah, we pull it all and they tell us, okay, this is what we have to have. And then we go to work and we create a game plan so that when the time comes and whether it's funds seasoning or a certain amount of savings or building up a credit score or building up a work history, the time is going to pass whether you do anything or not, but waiting, you know, until you've got the two years and not paying attention to the other things. So you may have to wait until you have two years in your current employment to show a two-year work history, but that doesn't mean that you aren't busy working on your credit score, or working on your down payment. The other thing is there's nothing to prevent you from looking for other people who would potentially become investment partners for you, right? If you're going to go through the process of, say, learning how to build up your credit, maybe you want to take two or three for friends with you. And then meanwhile, you may be out there looking for other types of investors who have capital, but we've had people on this very Ask the Guy session that have income, that have down payment, and they don't have a credit score. And you start looking for those people. Owner financing, sure, that's another great way. Again, I go back to the basic premises, whatever you're lacking, somebody else has, and whatever you have, somebody else needs. And it's a matter of just poking around until you find a good match, and not just in terms of you know assets and liabilities or what somebody has and you know what somebody needs but also in terms of vision and values and what you're trying to accomplish but you can always create these partnerships you know when when you're out there and you understand what you have to work with so just get out there and start building your brand if you will your reputation as somebody who's serious and knowledgeable you're a young person but you've got a great way of presenting yourself and then begin to build your network and add people and ask people who do you know and pretty soon you'll start finding some leads it's an imprecise science but motion activity is all a very important part of getting things done it's Ask the Guys today. Your questions, our answers, more when we return. I'm your host, Robert Helms. We're the Real Estate Guys. Need help with your real estate investment portfolio? Check out the resources page at realestateguysradio.com. Are you achieving everything you want in life? What if there was a time-tested way for you to get everything you've dreamed of? The most successful people in life set goals and keep themselves accountable. But how? The good news is that it's not rocket science. You too can learn the skills and unleash the motivation that will create success in your life. And now is the time. Hi, this is Robert Helms, and I'd like to personally invite you to attend Creating Your Future, the 2016 Goals Retreat, taking place January 8th through 10th in beautiful San Diego, California. 
This unique weekend has been called phenomenal, inspirational, and life-changing by the hundreds of people that have attended. Find out more at realestateguysradio.com and click events or call 888-489-7723, extension 18. Get your life back on track physically, spiritually, and financially. Attend the 2016 Goals Retreat on the second weekend of the new year. Click events at realestateguysradio.com and register why there's still early bird pricing. This is no dress rehearsal. Live the life you were meant to. Visit realestateguysradio.com or call 888-489-7723 today. Hi, this is Doug Casey, and you're listening to The Real Estate Guys. Welcome back to The Real Estate Guys radio program. Thanks for tuning into the show. Hey, if you're trying to get in touch with who you are and what the rest of your life is going to look like, come on out to Creating Your Future. The 2016 Goals Retreat happens the second weekend of the new year in beautiful San Diego, California. This is the highest rated event we ever do, and there's room for you. You can find out all the details on our website at realestateguysradio.com under events. Today it's Ask the Guys, and even though it's too late to get a question on this week's show, we're going to do another one in a few weeks, so if you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, you can do that at our website, realestateguysradio.com. Click the button that says Ask the Guys. This comes from Manny in Los Angeles, California. Hi, my name is Manny. I need some advice on purchasing my first property. I'm 37 years old. I make about $45,000 a year, and I want to build a real estate portfolio. I have read many books on real estate investing, but I'm still unable to get started. I would appreciate any advice. Thank you. All right. Well, Manny, you've come to the right place. Yeah, you're standing at the bottom of like Mount Everest and you're looking at it because, you know, if you're in Los Angeles, California on a $45,000 a year income, you're going to have a heck of a time finding property that you're going to be able to qualify for on your own. Yeah. So the first thing is move. Well, you know, Robert says all the time, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. There are a lot of markets where you could easily qualify. It doesn't mean you necessarily have to move. It just may be your first property may be an investment property and not a personal residence. Uh, and so, you know, it starts by beginning to explore which those markets might be. Obviously, we have some markets that we follow we like them for different reasons. You can ask people who have invested, if join a local investment club, you know, we know people who are active investors in the LA area. There are a lot of investment clubs out there and a lot of providers, if you will, of investment properties in outside areas often come to equity rich places like California for the exact purpose of looking for people that are interested in investing outside. So it can be a lot easier than you think it is. And so, you know, you've read books and that's great. Now it's time to go out there and leverage your knowledge into conversations with people. And I'll tell you, this is important because your education is not a waste of time at all. When I first started, I was just like you. And what I did is I read a lot of books and then I eventually got out and I started interacting with people. And the things that I had read gave me a basis of knowledge that I could get into conversations. And I used those conversations to build relationships. And the relationships will eventually take you to the opportunities. And you start by asking questions, not talking a lot. So you don't have to be that smart, but you got to be smart enough to ask good questions and then people will begin to share with you things they're doing happy to talk about themselves and when you find somebody who seems to be sharp who seems to be qualified who seems to be helpful then you dig a little bit deeper 
Um, and so that's kind of the way you begin to build those outward connections to other marketplaces. I think one of the first things I do, Manny, is sit down with a mortgage professional and have them help you pre-qualify. What could you buy? And again, it doesn't have to be someone in Los Angeles because there's not much for sale in Los Angeles that's going to fit into what you're going to qualify for. But it's a big world. Live where you want to live. Invest where the numbers make sense. And get in a conversation with somebody. What that also is is an action step towards taking action. Mm-hmm. It's not another book or seminar. It's, hey, I'm now looking at my personal situation. I have this income. Here's what my credit is. Here's what I can afford to go buy. Now I have a shopping list. Now I can go and say, all right, I've got to be in this kind of a market where I can get this kind of a return and start getting yourself towards action. I love the idea of getting around other investors and there's great investment clubs in Southern California. There's also a lot of snake oil out there. So right. just be careful. Thanks for all your questions. Great questions today. If you have a question for the Real Estate Guys, go to our website at realestateguysradio.com and click Ask the Guys. We can't answer every question we get. We don't even come close, but we certainly appreciate your input and the ones that we think will have the greatest benefit to the listening audience we will answer on the show until next week go out and make some equity happen this episode of the real estate guys radio show is brought to you by paradigm life powerful cash management strategies using life insurance learn more at beyourbank.com mid-south home buyers low cost turnkey cash flow properties in memphis tennessee corporate direct Asset protection strategies for real estate investors from attorney and rich dad advisor Garrett Sutton. Find these and other great companies under the resources tab at realestateguysradio.com. To learn how you can expose your product or service to the Real Estate Guys audience, call 888-489-7723, extension 4. That's 888-489-7723, extension 4. Or use the feedback page at realestateguysradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week right here on the Real Estate Guys Radio Show.